Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. guy is just putting a pulpit up and down like that but I've been crying out to God for the last few months for God to give me a word for this year so that I know where I'm going you know we need vision don't we and you know you think that someone of my stature you know some great prophet would call me or I'd go to a meeting and I'd be called out you know something like that and I'm being crying out to God God what is your word for me I need a word for this season. How many of you know that you need to, you know, without vision, we perish and we need words. You know, and yesterday I just dedicated the whole day to a Sabbath day, just having time with God, just the whole day. I'm so I'm not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to have any responsibilities. I'm just going to say rest in you, God, and just hear you. You know, and I just, I was in that place of prayer and the Lord was starting to speak to me about a few things. And anyway, the next minute I just get this message from Matt, the guy that puts the pulpits up and down and the guy that puts the chairs out and gave me the most profound right. prophetic word that was exactly what God had been speaking to me that just lifted my spirit and made me believe and gave me the courage to face not just this year, but the years to come. How many of you know when you, well, you guys would understand. You get to an age and you just go, well, you know, is it over or am I finished? Have I done what I needed to do? A lot of people will say, you know, you can go into retirement now. You have a caravan. You could be a grey-haired nomad. You know, you deserve long service leave. You didn't take 10 years, you're coming up to 20 years. You know, why don't you just go away and just sip coffee in Europe and, you know. But Phil and I, we're a weird couple. We're strange because to us, we have eternity to sip coffee. There will be coffee in heaven, I expect. <laughs> Definitely prawns. I'm having prawns. I don't care, even if it's not Jewish. I'm having prawns. But, you know, Phil and I just go, you know what? We have one life. We have one life. And I've been praying, God, restore my youth. You know, give me, the, give me my youth. Give me my energy. Give me my health. Because there's a world out there that still does not know you. There, we, we, are at the, we are at a time on planet Earth where we, it's never been so important that every person in every church, gets off their rusty dusty, off their chair, and says, I am called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if all the world is, your world is Kmart, if your world is an office, if your world is a school, then go into all your world and preach the gospel. Well, that's easy to say, Pastor Julie. You know, that's easy to say, but I'm shy and I don't know how to talk and I don't know, mm, I'm not that, you know, great with Bible verses. 
I haven't been to Bible college. You know, I really want to share and I see people around me suffering and I have compassion and I really want to give them the truth. But, you know, I'm just normal. But you know what? You have the spirit of Jesus inside of you. And Jesus is crying out. He's crying out for mankind. And if we would just get with him, you know, love God, love people. You get with God. Like John, if you rest your head against the breast of Jesus, you will hear his heartbeat and you will not be able to be quiet. You will open your mouth and he will give you the words to speak. Not out of a, I have to do this. Not out of, oh, well, I suppose I'm better. Not out of, oh, well, it's part of being a Christian to get my brownie points. Out of a deep compassion and a love that you become a part of this person that you're speaking to. You, 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 you allow your heart to get into their world. You know, my father said to me, the greatest word that I can teach you in the English dictionary, do you know, want to know what that is, Julie? And I said, yeah, Dad. He, was, he just loved words. He loved the dictionary. He said, but the greatest word in the whole dictionary, do you want to know what it is? I said, yes, Dad, I want to know. He said, it's called empathy. Empathy. He said, do you know what empathy means, Julie? I said, no, Dad, as a small child. He said, it means putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Just get in their shoes for a minute. What do they feel like? What is their world like? Are they important enough for me to get in their shoes and feel what they feel for a minute? To forget about my selfish stuff and just, you know, become one. Be the heart of Jesus. Are they important enough? I reckon they are. I reckon they are. Hmm. I love the way I love the way that Jesus loved people to life. I love the way that he saw people not as they were or not how they revealed themselves to be, but how they were becoming or who they would become. He spoke to people as if he didn't even see their struggle, their sin as a problem. He spoke to people as, yeah, you're in a journey. This is part of the journey. But he comes into their journey and he gives them words of encouragement. He speaks into them and he tells them who they're going to be down here and what this journey is outworking in them. And he gives them through his words and through his love the courage to get up and do it. The courage to do it because of love. If we're gonna, if we're gonna do what he's called us to do on this earth, people say, I can't wait for the next move of God, and I can't wait till God just shows himself, all these things. But I want to tell you this. The next move of God should have been what happened when Jesus died on the cross and it should have been building, building, building until now. And it's this. It's called love. It's called a revolution of love. 
Because we can have all the movers of God we want. We can do carpet time. We can get the power of God. We can have the fire. We can do the stuff. We've done that. We've lived in revival. But what does all that do if it doesn't outwork love? If it doesn't outwork a love like Christ? If it doesn't outwork something in us that we would lay down our lives for our brothers, then it's all for nothing. What's the next move of God? I tell you, we're in it right now. God wants to teach us how to love. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. If you get those two things right, we can get this world saved. We can solve every problem on the face of this earth and we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbours as we love ourselves. If we walk away from our Western culture, if we walk away and just say, you know what, the comforts of this world are not as important as loving the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength. Turn the TV off. Open your Bible. Walk away from Facebook. Don't spend hours scrolling through everybody's stuff. Getting your head filled with stuff. Get God. Imagine if you spent as much time on Facebook in in God as you do on Facebook. Imagine if you spent the same amount of time. I bet you if you added it up, each one of you probably spent, you know, a couple of hours a day on Facebook or, or social media. Imagine that if you said, God, I'm fasting it and I'm just going to, I'm going to give my time to you. Every time I go to pick up that phone, I'm going to put it down and say, I'm going to have this time with you instead. We'll just be filled. It would just be filled up. Well, I better preach this. Okay. So in John 1, we see this. We see I just want to give you three or four examples of how Jesus loves people to life and how Jesus, when He was on the earth, He showed us how to love. He gave us plenty of examples of how to love people. So in John 1, 43 to 51, this is Jesus walking along. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. This is when Jesus is gathering His disciples to Himself. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is what Nathanael says, Nazareth, I think he was pretty sarcastic. And I think he was pretty, like you know, they say that if someone sits under a fig tree, which Nathanael was sitting under a fig tree, they were the philosophers. They were the ones that would just had to get everything right in their own heads and sort everything out and just have the facts. And you may not know this, but as I read on, you'll understand that Nathaniel was a descendant of Jacob. And as a descendant of Jacob, there may have been that aftertaste of the deceit that came through those generations. But you can see what Jesus says to him. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? He's the philosopher. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite, or another version would say, here truly is a descendant of Jacob um, in whom there is no deceit. So straight away, Jesus looks at him. He knows he's a descendant of Jacob. He knows there's deceit in that bloodline. 
And he says to him, just like Jacob, when I spoke to Jacob and he wrestled the angel and I changed his name to Israel and he was transformed into the man he is today or was that day, I'm going to do the same thing with you. That's what he was reading when he said those words to him. Then he says, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael says, how do you know me? And he said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than this. And then he quotes exactly the same thing that happened to Jacob. Very truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he takes this sarcastic sort of thinker, wants all these ducks in a row, philosopher, maybe got some deceit coming down his bloodline, not quite sure, a bit sarcastic. But he doesn't walk up to him and say, you're sarcastic, you've got deceit coming down your bloodline, you know, you've got all these problems in your life, oh, but I might use you. He took it and said, there is no deceit in you and you will see the Son of Man, the angels of the Lord ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see greater things than this. So he prophesies to him a future and a hope. He tells him who he is, not who he perceives himself to be for that season. Amen. In Luke 19, 1 to 10, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. You have to know tax collectors were just like untouchables in that day. And he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And I have, if I have cheated anybody out of every, anything, I will pay them four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Isn't that a beautiful story? Yeah. Look at this one, Luke 7, 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, those of you who don't know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, she was actually a prostitute, this woman, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who he is touching. He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, that guy didn't speak that out. Jesus heard that. And he said, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I love that. You know, Simon the Pharisee had said to him, if you really saw this woman, if you were really a prophet, you would see this woman and you would know she's a sinner. And Jesus turns back to him and says, do you see this woman? Do you see her the way I see her? Have you looked into her eyes? Have you seen her past? Have you walked with her since before she was formed in her mother's womb? Do you know what story she has that led her into this life? Do you know anything about her? Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Not did you look at her? Have you seen her? And he says this, I came into your house. You did not give me any water to my feet, which was the custom, by the way. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say things among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see this woman? I wonder when you walk around in your life and you see people and you judge them by what you see in the natural. But Jesus never looked at the temporary or the natural. He always looks at the eternal. He sees the beginning of a life that starts here and he watches the whole life and he watches the whole journey and he knows his heart of hearts is that everyone at the end of their journey will stand before him on that final day when he welcomes all his saints home. That's his plan. That's why when he says, did you see this woman? Have you looked? Have you taken the time to look inside? If you had been with me, Pharisee, instead of just doing your religious duties, instead of just doing your, your things that are according to the law, if you had actually been with the Father like I have been with the Father, if you had actually put your head against the breast of your Father in heaven, you would have heard his heartbeat. You would have been able to look into the eyes of this woman and you would have been able to see her story. And you would have been able to see not just the story of the past, but the story of the future. And you would be able to speak into her life and give her the courage to get up and go to where God has for her. This woman, the Scriptures tell us later, was his greatest disciple. 
Mary Magdalene was one of his greatest disciples. In fact, she was the one that he showed himself to when he was ascending to heaven and Mary was crying in the garden. He interrupted his ascension into heaven. He interrupted him being risen from the dead. He interrupted the greatest thing that he would ever do for mankind because of the cry of one woman in a garden. He turned around and he came back and he said, Mary, I'm alive. The woman who he looked at and saw more than what she was at that time, the woman who he cast seven demons out of and delivered her and set her free, became his greatest disciple. We need to see people the way he sees them. Amen. We need to see them the way he sees them. I think the greatest, the greatest example that we can see out of the disciples of, you know, out of all the disciples, the one that actually got this, the one that actually got the love thing was the apostle of love, which was John. Somehow he kind of got, he kind of got it. You know, he it says that he was the one that was reclining at the table with his head on the breast of Jesus. I think he knew if I can get close to him, if I can, if I can just hear his heartbeat, if I can just somehow get his presence on me, then perhaps I can love the way he loves. If you read all of John's accounts, they're all about love, 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 love. Little children love one another. Love, 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 love. He talks about love all the time. In fact, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't call himself John. In every account, he talks about himself. He would, he would say, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. Like that song we just sang, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. John got that. He got that identity check. Who am I? I'm loved by God. And if I'm loved by God, then everyone deserves to be loved by God. Everyone deserves to know this love that I know. John had a revelation of the love of Jesus. And because of this, Jesus shared with him his most sacred revelation. He was able to be transported and look into the very eyes of the risen Christ, the glorified King. He saw Him. It says in Revelations 1, 9 to 18, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And in verse 12, it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands 
was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he had seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus knowing that John had had a revelation of his love on earth, then transported him in the spirit into heaven to see him in his glorified state but he had a mission and it wasn't just to give John the whole book of Revelations to see the dragons and the end of time and all the stuff about the end times. The revelation of revelations that Jesus wanted to give John was a picture of you and I, the bride of Christ, standing in all our glory on that last day. It says here in Revelations 19, 5 to 9, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. You need to understand the bride is the church. The wedding is when Jesus finally is connected with us again. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. For the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. John in that moment saw the revelation of revelations. He saw the finished product. He saw the end of all of our journey. He saw us standing there perfect in the presence of God, worshipping our God, every tongue and tribe and nation together with all our sin dealt with, with all our struggles gone, where there would be no more tears and no more crying and no more fear, where we stand there at the wedding supper of the Lamb, glorified. John saw the finished product. And from that moment forward, he began to write about love, 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 love and acceptance, accepting people for who they are, where they are, because they're on a journey just like you and me, whether they know Christ yet or they don't know Christ yet. He is working in them. He is reaching into their hearts. And He is not on this earth right now. We are His hands. We are His feet. 
We are his mouth. We are his eyes. We are his heartbeat. We are the tears that he cries for them. We are his compassion. We are his mercy. We are the words that they need to hear. If we would just be with Jesus, and we would reach in to any situation, see people as they are, whether it would be a poor person, a homeless person in the street, or a rich movie star. You know, I'm reading this book at the moment by Sean Boltz, and he's an incredible man of God that is really at the forefront of this revolution of love, changing the whole prophetic gift into, you know, what people make it judgment and criticism and all this stuff. And I'm reading the story that he's written in there and he said that he, he ministers to the poorest of the poor and he also ministers to the rich and the famous. He's in Hollywood. And there was one of his guys that he'd been ministering to who is a producer, quite famous. And he'd given his heart to Jesus and he'd given up drugs and he'd given up his lifestyle and he'd given up everything and Sean was working with him. And one day he came to Sean and he said, I decided to go back and visit one of my old people that I produced who's very, very famous, very famous woman. And he said, and I went backstage after the show with all the drugs and all the stuff going on. And I just sat there just, you know, just watching, not saying a word. And the very famous woman was over to the side in the corner, not participating in the drugs or anything either. And after a while, she called me over. She said, what, what's happened to you? What is it about you that has changed? And he said, I, I've become born again. I gave my heart to Jesus. He transformed me on the inside. I've become a Christian. I'm, I don't want to do the drugs. I don't want to do the stuff anymore. I've found my purpose in life. I've found who I am. And she just looked at him with tears in her eyes and she said, I don't have the faith like you have, but will you pray for me that I would get faith like yours because I truly want my life to change. And he prayed with her and it was confidential and so forth. He told Sean Boltz about it so Sean Boltz could pray about it. And then a few days later, Sean Boltz walks into a big conference. It was a big, famous prophet that was speaking. And he was sitting in the front row and this famous prophet got up. And one of the first things he said is, there needs to come judgment on these people in Hollywood. And this woman named whatever her name was, you know, she needs the judgment of God on her. She needs to, you know, we need to placard her. We need to stop what she's doing because she's, been, she's a disgrace. And he spoke about, and Sean Bolt said, I was sitting in the front row. I felt like I wanted to vomit. I wanted to run out. I wanted to wring his neck. I wanted to, he said, you, how can you do this? You don't even know her. You don't even know her. Like I know where her heart is at. I'm praying for this woman. She's so close to receiving Christ, but she's going to hear about your words. It's going to go on the internet and she's going to hear that the church hates her, that the church is judging her, that the church is placarding her, that the church thinks that she has no hope. But every heart, whether they're in the streets, whether they're famous in Hollywood, they are all children of the Most High God and they all deserve dignity. 
and they all deserve someone to look inside and find their story. Amen. We did Ollie's wedding last week. It was so beautiful. And I don't know what people expect. They expect the same thing from a wedding that they do from church, a religious ceremony. But we don't do religious ceremonies. We do life with people. We do life. So we never, any wedding that we do is never the same. We never use the same words. We don't use a format. We just meet with the people. We make it personal. We, you know, it's beautiful. So I performed Ollie's wedding and Beck's wedding, and it was, you know, it was really personal. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of like, you know, these kids have done it right, da da da. And it was very personal. So at the end, it was very beautiful. One of the photographers came up to me and just went, you know, uh, what church do you go to? And I said, oh, C3 Tugra. Oh, is that that big one, you know, that shed on the stilts? I said, yeah, that's the one. And she said, you know, if church is like that, I really want to come. And my partner's searching too, and I know he'd want to come. Because we've been talking about God, we've been thinking about God, but we didn't think we'd find God in the church. We were scared to walk in in case people judged us. But you know what? If your church is like you, I want to come to church and I'm going to bring my partner. By the end of the reception, the other photographer, she brought her over. You've got to meet her. You've got to meet her. She's dragging the other photographer over. You know, this is my friend. She's a photographer too and she knows to know about God too. And the other little girl says, yeah, I've been thinking about God for a long, long time. They said, C3 Tugger at that church on the stilts, yeah? These girls are in their 20s. And I said, yeah, that's right. They said, do you know what? We both went there once to a youth group when we were in year seven. And we were so impacted by God that that's what's had us on this journey of seeking God all these years. We're coming back. She's on holidays right now in Vietnam. I spoke to her yesterday. She said, Julie, I can't wait to get back and come to church. I can't wait to get back and get to church, bring my friend to church. They're going to be saved. They're going to be saved. Why? They're going to be saved because why? They're going to be saved because they heard that there is a God who loves them. They felt that there was a people who understood them where they were right now that wasn't going to judge them. They felt it was safe to come to church that they weren't going to get religion, that they were going to get real people, a real God, and real love. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.